0: If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. The book of Genesis, chapter 4. Last week, we started a series entitled How We Got Here, a short four week series on four stories in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. And when you think about the early chapters in the book of Genesis, we often think about the Garden of Eden and that story as the story of sin and the fall. But in all actuality, Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11 serves as various stories of the fall. And that's how we are to see it, which is why we're going to be looking at uh, three other stories. Last week we focused on Adam and Eve. Today we're going to focus on Cain and Abel. We have our uh, CDC Sunday next week, so we'll take a a one-week break. And then we're going to come back and focus on Noah's Ark and then the Tower of Babel. And all of these stories... Point to how fallen our world is, how we got here, so what is the here and how we got here? It is the, the, the situation of our brokenness, our struggle, the violence, the sin, the disruption that often dominates our lives and fills these world uh, this world. Uh, we find clues of, of how we got here and what God has done about it, and so we 're going to focus today on the second story in Genesis four. Uh, through Cain and Abel, and I'm going to talk about uh, the the sin of jealousy, and how we see this as the first manifestation of sin outside of the Garden of Eden. The sin of jealousy. Why is the world the way it is? In part. In much part due to jealousy and envy, which leads to violence. And so we're gonna see it in Genesis uh, 4, beginning in verse number 1. You can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain... Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Jesus, breathe on us through the power of your spirit, and set us free, Lord, to be the people of God you've called us to be in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Jealousy. Have you ever been jealous before? (laughs) Felt envy before? I know without a shadow of a doubt that I have felt much jealousy in my life. I have felt much envy in my life, and when I began to think about the various times that jealousy and envy has reared its head, I was surprised at how amazed I could easily name it. In the fourth grade, I'm taking you back, um, I was on the track and field team in elementary school. I was one of the fastest kids in the school. And then one day, a new student came to the school, PS 158 in East New York, Brooklyn. His name was James, and James was faster than I was. And whenever James ran, people would clap for James when he ran. And every time I would see James run, I would feel jealous, but it didn't stop there. In junior high school, I started to play basketball competitively. I was a pretty good player. I would hit an open three point shot. I thought I would make the team start as the starting point guard. But then a kid named Kenny showed up. (laughs) And Kenny could shoot a little better than I did. And when the rosters came out to see who was going to start at that position and who was going to come off the bench at that position, Kenny would start at that position. And I would come off the bench at that position. And every time Kenny shot a three-pointer and it went in, I'd look at Kenny feeling <laughs> jealous. But it didn't stop there. In high school, I liked the girl. I thought she liked me too. And, and, and one day I was looking at her and, and I could have swore she was looking at me. And, and it turns out she was looking at the guy behind me. And um, I liked her and... And she liked him. And whenever I saw them together, I, I looked at them together and feeling jealous and envious. But it didn't stop there. In college, I, I, I was a pretty good student of theology. I used big words. I just, I just learned the words, but I used them because I just learned them. And so I would use the words, but then another student came and, and he used bigger words. And when he gave a presentation, the teacher liked his presentation. And whenever he got up and started speaking, I, I looked at him feeling jealous. Just a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine posted uh, a picture on Facebook about his new house, and and it was a nice house, and it wasn't in New York, so it was really big. It was a big house, and and, and he had a couple of driveways, and and he did one of those things where he wanted to show the world every room in his house, and and so I clicked at every picture, and and, and I saw the living room, and and the dining room, and the kitchen, and the basement, and the attic, And, and every time I clicked on another picture, my apartment felt smaller and smaller smaller and smaller and smaller. And I looked at his house feeling jealous. The list goes on and on and on. That we all have to battle jealousy. We all have to battle envy. Everywhere you look, it seems as if jealousy rears its head. Envy rears its head. Babies get jealous. Dogs get jealous. I remember he seen my, my daughter, Karis, when she was just born, we brought her over to my in-laws. And, and my in-laws have a beautiful chocolate Labrador dog named Blue. And, and Blue's the best dog ever. And, and, and we brought uh, uh, Karis over, and my mother-in-law started holding her. And Blue, who's used to all the attention, started looking for toys and stuff. And he, he kept bringing a toy to, his, to my mother-in-law. Like, look at me. Pay attention to me. Dogs get jealous. Babies get jealous. We all get jealous. We all have to wrestle with envy from time to time. And when you look at the story of Scripture, we see that the first manifestation of sin outside of the garden is jealousy, a jealousy that leads to envy. And we see this through the children, the child of Adam and Eve. Now, as I preach this, I want you to be thinking about the moments and the reasons why jealousy rises up in you. And there are many different kinds of jealousy. There is relational jealousy, where maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband and wife, you see someone and, and something rises up in you, a kind of romantic jealousy. There is career jealousy, where you are hoping for that promotion, you were hoping for the corner office, and someone else got the promotion, someone else got the corner office, and you have to pass by that corner office every single day. There is a kind of standard of living jealousy where you see what other people have and where they're living and you look at them, you look at yourself, you feel envious. There's a popularity jealousy where you post something on Facebook and you only get five likes and someone else posts something, they get 200 likes and you're going, my stuff is better than their stuff. There's all kinds of jealousy that we have to deal with, and the jealousy that, that rears its head in our lives is destructive for our souls, destructive for our world. When we pick up in our text in Genesis four, we pick up and things seem to be going right. In Genesis four, chapter one and uh, verse one and verse two, it says these words: Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, "With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man." And later, she gave birth to her bro- his, to his brother Abel. Verses one and two seem wonderful. They're making love. They're having babies. I imagine they got family photos. They got the khakis and the white shirts. Uh, the Adams family is having a great time together. <laughs> In verse one and two, they're having a blast. But then things change. Life changes. Families changes, personalities switch, life happens, and the situation begins to emerge where there is some sibling rivalry, some tension between these two brothers. The story goes on that Abel was a hunter, uh, uh, and Cain was a a farmer, and, and they would bring their offerings to the Lord. And whenever uh, Abel gave his offering to the Lord, the fire would consume it. God would be pleased. And every time Abel Cain offered an offering to the Lord, God would not be pleased. And as a result, this jealousy began to come up in Cain. He becomes very angry and jealous of his brother. And what we see from this point on in human history is that jealousy and envy has been a major factor of why the world is the way it is. How do we get a world marked by violence? How do we get a world marked by bitterness and resentment? How do we get a world marked by domination and anxiety and much respect because of jealousy? When we read the story of Cain and Abel, we have to note that we are Cain in this story. All of us are Cain in this story. We don't know the specifics of it, but whenever Cain gave an offering, he felt left out. And we don't know if this is the first time that this happened. Was this an ongoing pattern of sibling rivalry and and sibling tension? That every time Abel did something, everyone was pleased? And every time he did something, no one was pleased? Did Abel come home with good grades and Cain come home with bad grades? Did Abel, because he was the baby of the family, was he really nurtured and and shown more attention than than Cain was? We, we, We don't know, but all we know is that Cain was angry, and he felt left alone, ostracized, alienated. I remember when Nathan was born, who's five years old right now, and Karis was five years old at the time, and and she got to the hospital to meet him for the first time, and, and we're holding Nathan, and, and Karis is already upset that someone else is there to, to, to share the love in the house. And, and, and I go, Karis, uh, look, this is your brother Nathan. Um, are you going to teach him how to play games? And, and she looks at me with her five-year-old face, and she says, I'm not teaching him anything. <laughs> And she needed an hour. She needed to get that out of her system. And and from this point on, she's taught him everything. And she's the best big sister in the world. But at that moment, there was was something there, some sibling rivalry. We don't know if this is the first time or if this is a a, a pattern, but, but Cain is angry. And the Lord picks it up. The Lord says, Cain, why are you angry? He picks up on Cain's jealousy. And he says, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Now, interestingly, this is the first time that the word sin is mentioned in the Bible. And it's mentioned when they get out of the garden. And it seems as if this is noteworthy. The word sin is not mentioned while they're in the garden, but when they get out of the garden, God says, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. It seems it it seeks to take you. It seeks to devour you. And and the images is is that God gives is like there's a tiger that's crouching, waiting to devour you. It's, It's quite an image. What we see on the screen here is uh, that's pretty intense, and that's the image of sin, that it is slowly and imperceptibly just crouching at you, waiting for the opportune time to devour you. This is the nature of sin. You don't often see sin coming. It, It slowly just creeps up on you, and next thing you know, you're feeling a certain way, and next thing you know, you're devoured by it. This past week, I was online, and I, I saw something, and, and you ever see something, and you just don't, you can't put words to it, but you're unsettled, and I just, something in my spirit that's just unsettled, I just, I can't name it, and, and I saw something, and I was just unsettled, I was, I was a bit angry, I was a bit anxious, and, and I, I couldn't name what it was, and I spent, time in, I spent some time in prayer, thought about this passage that I'm preaching on, and, and I felt that, yeah, you know what it is? It's the jealousy, something is crouching and it's about to consume me. This is the image that God gives. This is sin, generally speaking, that it crouches at us. And God says, be careful, lest it devours you. You must rule over it. But Cain allows it to rule over him. Cain, in his jealousy, it's so deep-seated in him that he takes his brother out to the field, says, let's play catch, while he throws the ball, and I imagine maybe Abel goes to get it, Cain gets behind him, and he attacks him, and he kills him. And the origin story of our world is that ever since this point, our world has been marked by a kind of jealousy and envy that leads to violence. And all of us have a Cain complex. We all have a Cain complex. Now, few of us admit it, but we have it. To admit to jealousy is one of the hardest things we can do, which is why if you ask anyone, are you jealous of him? Are you jealous of her? Often it's no. We, we have a hard time because it exposes us. Yeah. It makes us feel, uh, makes us look weak. It makes us look vulnerable. And so we, we rarely ever confess to being jealous of someone else. And yet it lives within us. And here's the thing about jealousy We are often only jealous about the things that matter most to us, which in in a very real way, our jealousy unmasks our idols, the things that we have made ultimate in our lives. Let me explain it this way. When I see someone singing, I am never jealous. I can't sing. I, I I see them sing. I go, mm, wow, it's beautiful. That's, that's. I admire it. That's wonderful. When I see someone playing an instrument, the guitar, whatever it is, I, I I don't I don't feel jealous. I'm not a musician. I I I appreciate what they do. I I celebrate what they do. I admire what they do. I'm not I'm not jealous. but, but when I see another preacher. I'm a preacher. <laughs> when I see another speaker, something just uh, uh, it comes up to the surface. And, and, and I'm looking at him. I go, mm, he's good. Oh he's, oh, he's good. And oh, she's really good. And, and, and something comes to the surface. Now, what's your area? Don't just look at me. What's your area? <laughs> Because when this happens, what's happening is the thing that we make ultimate, the thing that matters most to us, the thing that often becomes an idol is exposed. Sin is crouching at the door. Whenever I, 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 I see other pastors and such, I, a temptation to be jealous comes to the surface. And it happens in many different ways for many of us. For some of us, we see other kids' children, and we see how well-behaved they are, and we go, oh, man, I I wish my child was like that. This is, they're amazing. When when you see two people in love, and and, and you look at your relationship, and, and, oh, man, I I, I wish my relationship was like that, and and something happens to us. Now, to, to, to admire is not to be jealous. To desire something is not to be jealous. You can desire something and not be jealous about it. If you're single, you can, you can desire to meet Mr. Wright. If you're single, you can desire to meet Mrs. Wright. Or oh, I should say, Miss Wright. <laughs> if she's already a Mrs., she ain't right, all right? Just, 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 Talk to me, somebody. (laughs) I feel the spirit now, Teddy. I feel the spirit now. (laughs) You can desire it, but not be jealous of it. And so let's work through all of these layers together. And so God is not against us having desire. At, at the core of jealousy is our need to succeed at your expense. It's I succeed because you fail. It's it's a zero-sum game. It's I need to be the winner, but the only way I can be the winner is if you're the loser. I can only be successful if you're a failure. And this is the way of the world. The world operates according to this idea. In the kingdom of God, we don't operate according to this idea. But Cain, in his complex, believes that the only way I could win, is if my brother loses, he kills his brother. Now, Cain crosses a line. And just like God related to his parents, God relates to Cain. When Adam and Eve sinned, God approaches them. And God asks them a question. And it's a a fundamental question. And when Cain sins, God asks Cain a question. And they're related. After Adam and Eve sin, God approaches them and says, Adam, where are you? After Cain sins, God approaches and finds Cain. And he says, Cain, where is your brother? Two very simple questions that get at the heart of our relationship with God. Where are you and where is your brother? And we have to hold these things together. Where are you? Where is your brother? And Cain in his obstinance, Cain in his arrogance, Cain in his rebelliousness says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I the one who's supposed to look after my brother? And God says, What? Have you done? But what I love about this is that God continues to pursue Cain. This is the beauty of our God. I love that after God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden, God doesn't stay in the garden, as it were, and say, you're on your own. God follows them even outside of the garden. And he's with them outside of the garden. This is the God who pursues us. This is the God who relentlessly loves us. This is the God who comes after us. This is good news. God doesn't just pursue you when you're reading your Bible. God pursues you when you can't find your Bible. God doesn't just pursue you when you're praying. God pursues you when you don't know how to pray. Whether in the garden or outside of the garden, God pursues us. This is the love of God. And God comes after Cain. Where are you? Where is your brother? What have you done? And Cain, in his disobedience and his obstinance, refuses to repent. He holds on to it. And his life now is marked in a particular way. God banishes him from the garden, but God marks him and says, uh, listen, I'm I'm going to put a mark on you. And I think that that mark there is is for his protection. But I think it also teaches us that when you're so jealous and when you live envious, that it's on your skin. Everybody sees it. You know, when you're you're bitter and resentful and envious, it it just manifests all over your body. And, And so Cain is marked and yet God protects him. He, he, he receives grace, and yet there's consequences. This is, this is the multi layered nature of being in relationship with God. And yet God wants to free Cain, and Cain refuses to orient his life to God. Now, this is how Cain's story ends, but this doesn't have to be how, how our story ends. We all have a Cain complex, but we don't have to go be a restless wanderer as Cain was. He was subjected to be a restless wanderer, and that's what jealousy and envy does to us. We, we wander restlessly, waiting for the next thing that could satisfy. And, and so you get another job because you were jealous of somebody else's job, but then something else manifests. And now you need something else. Then you get that, and then you need something else. You're a restless wanderer. That's what jealousy does. That's what envy does. It makes us a restless wanderer, and this does not have to be our story. How do we get free from jealousy? How do we get set free from envy? I want to offer a few questions before us to contemplate. But before we we go into these questions, the first way we get out of the trap of jealousy is by confessing our jealousy. (laughs) You cannot be free from that which we refuse to confess. And and is that the point where we could say, yes, I'm jealous? Yes, I'm feeling envy. It's only when we can confess it and admit it that we can now position ourselves for the presence of God, the spirit of God to do the work in us to free us. But how do we, how do we wrestle with this? Because it's going to come up day after day. By the end of the day, something's going to rise up in you. You're going to see someone with something better than you, someone thinner than you. Uh, someone that seems happier than you and something's going to rise up in you. What do you do when jealousy rears its ugly head? I, I want to just give three very simple questions for us to wrestle with Jesus with. Because this is not about an abracadabra fix it, Lord. This is the deep work of the spirit. But we got to give Jesus access to our souls. And the first question that we would need to wrestle with whenever jealousy rears its head, very simply is this, what is the story I'm telling myself? What is the story I'm telling myself? We all have a story we tell ourselves when envy comes up. A story we tell ourselves when jealousy comes up. And the story is actually very simple. It's, It's the story that all of us have. It's one story, really. It's the story of how enough we are, how adequate we are. And we all have a different blank to fill. But the story is, I am not blank enough. Whenever jealousy comes up and envy comes up, I am not blank enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not thin enough. What is your blank? That's the question. And we are called to wrestle now with God with this. I am not, and, and as we wrestle with this, we need to now appropriate for ourselves what Christ has done and who Christ is for us. Because in Christ, you are blank enough. Whatever that blank is. In, in Christ, you are loved enough. Your identity is not in that blank. Your identity is in his love. You, you are already enough because of Jesus. And until we can wrestle with that, and make that a reality in our lives, we will live as a wandering, restless person waiting for the next fix so that jealousy doesn't rear its head, but then it'll come up again. What's the story you're telling yourself? The second question we must wrestle with is what's the lie you are believing? And often it's the lie about others that you're believing. There was a study that was published last year in the International Journal of Information Management, and it concluded with this quote here, and I'll quote it for you. It says, the more people spend time on Facebook, the happier they perceive their friends to be and the sadder they feel as a consequence. The more time we spend on Facebook, the happier they perceive their friends to be. And the sadder we feel as a consequence. And what often happens is we see what someone puts on the screen, and we think that is the full reality of their lives. We we, we see a couple just so happy, they're so happy to be together. They're just smiling all the time, they're always at the beach, and and they're just just having a great time. And, And you look at them and you go, Look how happy they are. But, but let's be honest. I, I mean, uh, when do we really post the bad stuff? When, when, when do you have a bad argument with your boyfriend, a bad argument with your spouse, and after the argument, you say, Let, let's take a picture. Let's just show the world how, uh, how angry we are, you know? When do you go, I, I hate you, and like, let's take a selfie, and just, just, just a, uh, you know, just a... We show the good stuff. We show the pictures of our children when they're always happy and behaving. We don't show the pictures of our children when they're kicking us in the shin and, <laughs> and acting like little devils in the house, you know? And so we conclude that everybody else is happier than I am. And in all actuality, many of the people who are posting stuff, there's another side of the story as well. And what's the other side of the story? Very simply this, that everyone is struggling. Every single person is struggling. Every single one of us in this room is struggling, battling, going through something. You're, you're married, you're going to be struggling. Finances, you're going to be struggling. Struggling. Possessions, you're going to be struggling. Job, you're going to be struggling. Every single one of us in this room, we're struggling in some way, in some form, in some fashion. And the sooner we refuse to believe the lie that everybody else is happier than I am, the sooner we can live from a place of joy and... Cont- we're all struggling. And so what, is, what are we called to do? Whenever uh, jealousy and envy comes up, two questions. Lord, what's the story I'm telling myself? What's the lie I'm believing? And the third question is, what are the gifts that I need to acknowledge? What are the gifts that I need to acknowledge? God, you've you've blessed me. You've given me things. You've given me people. And I so often fail to see what you've put in my way because I'm looking over here. And so how do we wrestle with this so that we get free from it? We, we, we begin to contemplatively and, and prayerfully begin to engage the Spirit of God with these questions. And as we honestly say, yes, Lord, I'm jealous, but this is the, because this is the story I'm telling myself, and this is the lie that I'm believing, and, and this is what I'm failing to see, all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to do some work in our souls to free us from the illusions that we are not enough. In Jesus, you are enough. He is sufficient. He is more than enough. Now, what's fascinating to me, and I want to just begin to land this plane here. What's fascinating to me in the scriptures is that God repeatedly tells his people not to be jealous. And God repeatedly tells his people not to be envious and not to covet. And yet the same Bible that says, don't be jealous, don't covet, don't envy. and that same Bible, God is seen as jealous. In Exodus 34, th- th- this is... This is what it says. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Now, either God is not practicing what God is preaching. (laughs) Or there are different ways to see jealousy. When we think about jealousy from a human perspective, here's the difference. When we're jealous... It's about our own selfish gain. It's self-referential. It's me-centered. But when God is seen as jealous, it's other-centered. It's for our own good as the people of God. And, and God, God knows something about us. He knows we go after idols, and God says, For your own good, I wanna rescue you from those idols. My love is jealous. It's jealous because it is for your good. Our love is for our own good. But when God shows his jealousy in the healthiest sense of the word, it is for our benefit, not God's benefits. Therefore, God is a jealous God. And what we see is that God reveals his jealousy in Christ most profoundly. Because we see in Jesus Christ a different story from Cain. Christ is the anti-Cain. He shows us a different way. Let me contrast it for us. With, With Cain, Cain's jealousy leads him to spill the blood of his brother. But when Christ demonstrates his jealousy, he does it in a way in which he gives his blood for another. Ah, you see the difference? Cain spills the blood of his brother. Christ spills his blood for another. He shows us what love looks like when it is self-giving, when it is other-centered, when it is merciful and graceful and full of love. Cain is about himself. Christ is about the other. And we see time and time again, Christ demonstrating the love of God, the jealousy of God in the healthiest sense of the word and saying, I love you with an everlasting love live in my love. And as you live in my love, you don't have to be like Cain anymore. You can receive my love and live from a deeper place, a centered place, a peaceful place, a joyful place. A place where you're not looking for the next thing, the next fix, the next job, the next relationship. You can finally be at at peace, at a centered place. Why? Because the love of God is enough. And this, amen, this is what we see in Jesus Christ. He's different from Cain. Cain spills the blood of his brother. Christ sheds his blood for another. And we are called to live in that love, to shape our hearts in the way we live in this world. Let's pray together. For many of us, That image of that tiger is true to our lives. That sin is crouching at the door. And it seeks to devour us. And for so many, we experience envy and jealousy. And it comes up from time to time. And it robs us of God's joy and blessings and peace. I want you for a moment to just name. Maybe the envy that's come to the surface. Maybe it's something that happened last week, something that happened today. Just name it. I'm jealous of this. I'm jealous that I don't have that. I'm jealous of him. I'm jealous of her. And let the Spirit of God begin to do the Spirit's work. Just right where you're at, I invite you to close your eyes, just... Say, Lord, this is is the envy I'm feeling, the jealousy I'm feeling. I'm feeling devoured by it, but I don't want it to rule over me. Just name it for a moment, then we'll sing together. Jesus, we confess this afternoon that our lives are often caught up in jealousy and anger and violence. Lord, we find ourselves being devoured, living as wandering, restless people, and yet there is a love that satisfies that you call us to live in. Jesus, may your love satisfy and may we live from that place. Set us free from the traps of the evil one. Set us free from a wandering, restless heart. May we live rooted in your love. We sing to you now words of praise, words of worship, words of thanksgiving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
1: Take all I have in these hands and multiply, God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Send me on fire, send me on fire. All I have in these hands And multiply God, all that I am And find my heart On the altar again Send me on fire Send me on fire Here I am, God arms wide For me, you won't save me. You will be with me.
0: Lord that's our prayer Lord as we close our service I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left invite those going to offer our sister Carol to offer the bread and the cup when we come to take of communion to dip bread in the cup and to receive the body and blood of Jesus we are We're asking God to shape us in the way of Jesus, not in the way of Cain. And so if you come for the bread and the cup, maybe let that be a reminder of Christ's love for you, spilling his blood for you. That you would be free from the Cain complex that comes up in all of us. That whenever envy and jealousy manifests in our hearts, that we would remember our identity is not based on me being better than someone else or having this or having that. Who I am is marked by the love of God. And so we have the bread and the cup there. Then we have our prayer team. To live free from jealousy and envy. And remember, this is early on in the book of Genesis. When sin manifests, this is one of the first ways it manifests, which means this is our story. It's not just their story. This is our story. And so we have to be mindful of the ways that sin crouches on us, like that tiger ready to devour us. And yet we can rule over it. We're not helpless here. We have God's spirit. We have the people of God to help us rule over it. And one of the ways that we can rule over it is by receiving prayer, by saying this is where I'm at, I'm caught up in this web of jealousy and envy, and it's, it's destroying me, I want to receive prayer. And so our prayer team is here for whatever needs you have. If you're not a Christian here, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, you will live your entire life as a restless wanderer. You will live your life as a restless wanderer, looking for the next thing. It is only the love of Jesus that can truly satisfy your soul. And so if you've never said yes to Christ, if you've never said, I want to follow Jesus, I want to receive his forgiveness, I want to make him Lord of my life, if you've never done that, our prayer team is here. We would love to pray for you. If you feel something stirring in your soul, uh, that's probably the Holy Spirit trying to awaken you to a new life that's possible in Christ. And so our prayer team is here. Lord's table is here. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven just to receive a blessing. And we close every gathering in this posture because this is the posture of receiving. The world's posture is one of grasping, manipulation, control, violence. The people of God were marked by openness, joy, peace, trust. And so with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, living in the truth of God's love for you. And every time jealousy and envy rear its head, may you find yourself going deeper into the love of God, knowing that your identity is based most deeply in the love of Jesus. And may you be a gift to the world around you. I bless you on the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ.
1: And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to all.